Welcome to the You Have a Body podcast. Two broads talking broadly about health. The physical, the emotional, the nitty-gritty, and the fun. Real thoughts on real health. The information provided within this podcast is not designed to and does not provide medical advice, professional diagnosis, opinion, treatment, or services to you or any other individual, and is intended for general information for educational purposes only. All right. Welcome to the You Have a Body podcast, episode 54. Welcome, welcome. I'm one of your hosts, Lucia Holly, nutritional therapy practitioner, owner of EssentialOmnivore.com, and with me, as always, is Hannah Whiteman, owner of Solcana Fitness and Wellness in the Seward neighborhood of Minneapolis. Hey yo, hey yo. <laughs> How are you, Hannah? Oh, you know what? I'm good. I'm just gonna say that I have a little bit of body stress. And I'm personally good, but like a lot of my friends are experiencing some like dark times right now. And I feel like I'm taking it on physically in my upper back and neck and like carrying this crazy amount of stress in my shoulders because all my friends are so sad. That's unfortunately seems very similar to our subject for today. It certainly does. And in fact, last night, I felt so tense in my shoulders that I actually got a headache. Oh, no. Yeah, I did. So it's fresh fresh in your mind. It is fresh in my mind. It's fresh in my mind to be talking about headaches and migraines today. But I did have a question for you this week Yeah. before we even get into things. So I was talking to a friend of mine who is like true keto right now, is doing a true keto experiment. Mm Mm-hmm. And I myself am not purposely going full ketogenic, but am in a fat burning state. And that's sort of newer for me. It's only been a few months like this. And this person mentioned that they were having a hard time getting to sleep at night. Mm -hmm. And I personally feel like I'm not having a hard time getting to sleep, but I don't feel like I'm in as much of a need of eight to nine hours as I was before kind of entering this fat burning state. Do you have any thoughts on that or advice on that? Yeah. Um, My thoughts go out to your friend who I think that can actually be pretty common and that can be a common downfall of doing a very strict ketogenic diet if you aren't doing it for some of its more therapeutic uses, like if you have seizure activity or, you know, potential brain cancer. um, Those are kind of in their own realm of why people would be taking on a ketogenic diet. So if someone is so low carb um, or essentially no carb that uh, they're doing that day in, day out, um, that can become a stressor on your body because your body's like, well... (laughs) what the heck? (laughs) Where did these carbs go? Why, like, are they ever coming back? Um, And so I have definitely seen um, with clients and just in the general keto sphere, if you will, that if someone is starting to experience some insomnia, that they, that's a really great cue that they could consider bringing in some carbohydrates to essentially carb up. Um, And that might not need to happen daily, but typically that can feel useful towards the end of the day Um, or after if they are engaging in some sort of physical activity, after that activity, before bed, uh, and maybe starting like once or twice a week and then noticing how that helps with their sleep. So 
hearing that you're experiencing the inverse, I would say probably is reflecting that your body's feeling really good. And, um, you know, sleep is going to change depending on where someone is at with their life and stressors and working out and emotional stress and all that jazz. So if you're feeling good with your diet and you're not, you're getting the opposite of insomnia, you're feeling like the sleep that you are getting is restful. Um, it's not like kind of a more like wired, like, oh yeah, I don't need to sleep at all. <laughs> I feel crazy. If you're feeling like it's appropriate sleep and you just need less of it, um, I would say that that is still a pretty, a decent functional part of an appropriate lower carbohydrate slanted style of eating. Okay. I also thought maybe for this friend of mine that in general, they weren't eating enough food. Like maybe I think they were just, just tracking their carbs to make sure they were low enough. But from what the description was, it felt to me like maybe there wasn't enough fat to supplement that. Sure. Yep. And again, in the general keto sphere, uh, a lot of people are going to push for fat, and fat's great because that's going to be the easiest macronutrient to eat that will quickly bump up how many calories uh, you'll be consuming. However, I will say that I think a lot of people can unfortunately be a bit protein deficient when they're doing right. a ketogenic diet, and they can also be very deficient in electrolytes. So it can be surprising how much salt um, magnesium and potassium actually needs to come in, so sodium, magnesium, potassium, how much those need to come in on a regular basis every single day when someone is in that more extreme fat burning phase. So I would say they could play around with increasing salt intake, adding it into a, you know, like doing even like a half teaspoon, like actually measuring out salt, supplementing magnesium, getting that, getting that salt into some water and drinking that. Um, that can be a big reason why people feel kind of like a keto or low carb flu when they're initially transitioning over is because their body is flushing out water and their body is flushing out electrolytes and just going through that more quickly, which it can feel really gross in your body. Okay. That's good advice. I will, I will tell my buddy that. Yeah. Hopefully your buddy feels better. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to our friend. I don't think we've shouted out to her before. Our friend Lindsay H., um, because she left us a review in iTunes, and it was hey, such a thanks, Lindsay. Yeah, it was such a dope review. Thank you so much for doing that and pioneering how the heck to leave a review in iTunes. Um, we appreciate that. And anyone else who wants to leave a review, come come figure it out with us, <laughs> and then do it. It'll be great. Yeah, and we'll give you a shout out too. So, how's Utah this week? Utah's good. Right now, it's overcast and a little bit rainy, which has been unusual. We had that a couple days ago as well. Um, but I gotta say, maybe I said it last week, I'm loving this dry heat because you can be out in the shade and feel quite comfortable. <laughs> you're not like soaking while you're in the shade and then soaking while you're in the hot sun. Yeah, that sounds a little different than Minnesota summers to me. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but that being said, yes, now it's a, probably a little bit more humid because of that rain today. Um, but things have been good. I'll be coming back to Minneapolis early next week and then kind of going from there. So no complaints, no complaints here. I have my collagen peptides out this morning and I thought of you because you've been Aww. rocking the collagen. Yeah, I've been eating a lot of collagen. I Last night I made, uh, there's this great... Speaking of shout outs, there's this great Instagram um, and the it's at big man's world. Oh. And I think the title is slightly ironic, but 
what this person does is like posts all these recipes that are sort of like grain free, dairy free, sugar free, um, fake dessert type of things. Well, real desserts, the desserts, if you eat them as desserts, the desserts, but they include nothing bad. And usually they use a protein powder and they'll use like a vanilla protein powder. And I think that normally they use pea protein and I've been using collagen, um, hydrosylate protein and it doesn't add like any flavor, but it also doesn't take, it doesn't add any bad flavor. So you can mix it. Yeah. Like last night I made, um, here, quick, jot this down, listeners. It's from Big Man's World. I altered it just slightly. Four tablespoons of coconut flour, two tablespoons of some sort of nut butter. I used sunflower butter because that's what I had. Um, one tablespoon, if you would would like, of maple syrup, or you could use honey, or you could use like coconut crystals or maple sugar, or you could use nothing, and it would just be a little bit less. Um, it wouldn't, wouldn't have quite as much sweetness to it and then you mix in your protein powder you put in just enough milk that the dough is like doughy and not runny and then you just form it into a giant cookie (laughs) and you put it in the fridge for like 30 minutes and it's cookie dough it's just like a cookie dough cookie and josh and i shared it It was definitely enough for two servings it was so tasty and it felt like we were having real dessert even though it was like you know high fat high fiber high protein and like almost no carbs. Yum. It was um, super tasty and, and no, no sugar. And uh, so high fiber for anyone who's played around with coconut flour. They know that as soon as you add liquid into that flour, it just like, it's like a sponge. It just sucks it up. Um, so great for yield digestive system. Like good yeah. old fiber. Um, that sounds great. I love that. I also, yeah. I, I had some collagen peptides this week. I had some, and actually posted this recipe on my website, which has just been sad and forgotten about. Um, I had some old or cherries that were getting like a little bit sad in the fridge. So I made a quick cherry compote and then added in those collagen peptides to make it a proteiny cherry compote. Because why not? And it was tasty. And they're so nice because they really don't have much of a flavor at all. So, I Yeah, like- and they don't really take up any – it's weird because they don't – change the texture of anything either mm-hmm. um like gelatin obviously is going to change the texture that's the point of it and i put by the way i put some um gelatin in my coffee in my decaf coffee the other day <laughs> uh and it was it was good but it was a little weird texturally <laughs> yeah yes yeah yes but i i was like i really need to get some in today so i'm just gonna put it in my coffee and see how it goes totally yep yep you can do the gelatin and collagen. Um, for anyone who's wondering, collagen is really just gelatin powder. It's similar to you know like Jello that I think a lot of us grew up with, just unflavored. It's gelatin that has been like cooked down even more so, and that's why the collagen um, doesn't gel liquids, whether they're hot or cold, versus the gelatin, which has kind of more of that um, protein structure that will gel up. So, yep. So. Fun food stuff. Um, yes. Should we get into migraines, the painful subject? Let's talk subject? about migraines. Ugh. Yes, it's such a painful subject. And I always, I personally have never experienced a migraine. God, lucky um, you. <laughs> I know. And I just have so, so much empathy for people that have because it seems incredibly painful. And it seems like it's one of those things that really alters your ability to function. 
yes. in your life. Like I know people that have to take off work when they have migraines or they have to like lay down in a dark room. So anything that you can do to manage or treat those outside of the traditional medicine that maybe that person already is using, I think people are ready to hear about it. Definitely. And I will say I'm speaking about migraines coming from a point uh, where I am someone who does experience migraines and it's been... Uh, I started getting them when I was 12, 11 or 12, and I get, and we'll talk about these more in a minute, I get migraines with an aura. So I was 12 Ooh. and I ran up to my parents and was like, why am I going blind? <laughs> Ow! Like, I can't see anything. And you get the aura uh, before you get a lot of the pain. So after that, yeah. about a half hour later, it started to get the pain and then figured out from there what was going on. So I, I get it. Um, for me, a lot of mine are food triggers which is pretty wonderful. But I will say, actually, I hadn't had a true migraine in a couple years, which is really wonderful. But I did, now that I think about it more and more, I did have one about a week ago, which was induced from a, um, what I'm guessing is a supplement that I took that was just uh, too much. It was too high of a dose of that supplement, and it induced mm. uh, migraine, which Yep, you got to be in a dark room, and even then, you are not a happy camper, to say the least. It's very uncomfortable. So what exactly is a migraine? Um, a migraine includes both neurological and vascular changes during the migraine attack itself, and it includes a hypersensitivity to different stimuli that can then create pain, causing a cascade effect, including activation of blood vessel inflammation, which in turn creates more pain signals. So a migraine is pain. Yes, it is. And the thing too about migraines is everything you look at for migraine research, it's, there's still so much uh, left to be learned about what causes them and what's really happening. Yes. But it does seem like pain begets pain with migraine. Yeah. It starts and it doesn't stop. Yeah. And um, I know you'll talk a little bit more about like exercise induced headaches and pain and tension in a little bit. Um, but I did want to lay out that there are you know, in general, a migraine is going to be super unique, unique and very individual. So it's we're just kind of talking about them in like a overarching sense. Um, but in general, migraines can have four different stages. So there can be the prodrome stage, the aura, the attack, the migraine attack itself, and then the postdrome. So the prodrome is interesting because that can actually occur up to like a day or two before the migraine attack itself. Um, and this can include kind of just feeling off, feeling like you might have some warning signs like neck stiffness, um, changes in your bowel habits. Maybe you're feeling constipated, like things aren't really moving. You might feel more thirsty. Uh, you might be yawning more. Um, and all of these are fascinating signs of uh, impending migraine, I think, because, you know, what else could you uh, attribute increased thirst or yawning to? Like a million... <laughs> Right. <laughs> a million other factors. So it can yes. be tricky to, to actually pin down until after the fact, oh man, that was leading up to this migraine. Um, not everyone is going to experience that, um, and it could be more or less severe depending on the person. After that is the aura phase, which again, not everyone is going to experience. Um, an aura typically presents as a visual disturbance, 
that someone is experiencing before the actual pain um, and discomfort, kind of that true like attack of the migraine comes on. So this, it looks crazy. I, you know, this is where I wish <laughs> we, even though we're a podcast or people are listening to us, I wish we could show an image of an aura because it's really, I think they're creepy. I get like pins and needles and goosebumps when I get an aura because I know what's coming. Um, yeah. So the auras can appear as kind of spiky and shifting, flashing or zigzagging patterns in someone's visual field. People often think that they're occurring over one eye, but typically they're occurring on either the left side or the right side of the field of vision. And they can start off as like this little tiny kind of black dot, and you're just like, oh, it's just like I looked at you know a bright light or something. Um, and they start small, and then they can grow bigger and bigger and bigger until most of the visual field is filled up and you can't quite see. And then usually that expands and grows over the course of 30 to 60 minutes um, and then the pain of the migraine attack which is phase three then comes on so this is where um, there's going to be obviously a big difference between a tension headache or maybe like a day-to-day -day general headache versus a migraine itself this is where the pain begins and it can last anywhere from a few hours to a few days <laughs> which is so messed up yeah, that's sad. <laughs> oh, gosh, a few days. Um, so this, again, going to be very individual here, but symptoms may include things like throbbing pain in the head or neck, um, often on one side versus the other side, vomiting, nausea, having huge sensitivities to light um, or sounds, smells, touch, just having like just your neurological system is going through a hell of a time during that migraine attack and leading up to it and afterwards. So anything that's stimulating a neurological reaction is going to feel pretty off. Um, there can even be muscle pain and feeling like lightheaded. So that's often why people are like, yep, nope, can't, I can't do anything. Got to go yeah. lay down in a dark room. Don't touch me. But my God, someone help me. This is horrible. Um, yeah, and then in comparison to just the attention headache, which is the other types of headache people are experiencing, there's a couple things that will help you understand. Like, if you've never really experienced a migraine, you're experiencing a pretty severe headache. Here's how you'll know if it's that it's not a migraine. Um, tension headaches never have smell intolerance associated with them. So if you're smelling something and it's making you feel sicker, uh, that might be an indication of a migraine. You're, you're less likely to have light sensitive sensitivity with attention headache and more likely to have noise sensitivity. Um, there should be no aura. There should be no prodromal symptoms at all. Um, nothing particularly strange outside of the fact that you have some pain in your headache in your head. And generally it'll feel like it's on both sides and it'll feel like a pressure or even a tightness in the head. And sometimes you can actually, relieve it at least temporarily by putting your finger to a pressure point on your head or to the backs of your neck. And that's, that's a pretty good indicator that you're looking at like musculoskeletal pain rather than actual like neurological brain aching. Right. That, those are very different things. <laughs> yep. and they're very different experience. Would you say as a coach or, you know, as just a, uh, a person who is training strength, would you say that you see many tension headaches occurring like in the gym? Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later on in the episode, but uh, tension headaches that come from exercise are almost always associated with that musculoskeletal pain, almost always associated with some sort of tension being held in the neck and head. 
And there's lots of research being done about this and still needing to be done. But that's what most studies have found is that those tension headaches are coming from tension within the muscular system mm-hmm. um, and or emotional tension. <laughs> or a combo. hey yeah. Whereas <laughs> migraines are – there's definitely like – you'll talk about food inducers and things like that. And there could be emotional inducers for a migraine, but they're less predictable than that. Sure. I would, I would say that um, with migraines, what I want people to remember, and you know, this is maybe for people who don't experience them as much and just want to be more knowledgeable about the subject, but often there's a perfect storm of triggers where maybe, um, and I'll list through triggers in a minute, but maybe if you experience one of those triggers, you eat a food that you know could maybe lead you to a migraine. If that's the only thing that you're encountering, but like the rest of your week is awesome and you're not stressed out and you're well hydrated and whatever else, um, it, you know, it's not always going to lead to a migraine, but if there are a couple of triggers that start to pile up, um, mm-hmm. that often can be the scenario that really your body's just like, yo, <laughs> this is not cool. I got to go check out, get me into a dark room. Here's some pain. So the last phase of those four phases after the migraine attack is a post-drone phase. And this is that follow-up phase, um, where someone is likely feeling tired there could be some confusion or just mental fogginess. Um, and there's a possibility of continued sensitivity to visual um, stimuli. And honestly, there can be emotional exhaustion in this phase because of the fact that you probably had to skip work. Um, you felt really gross and nauseous for an extended period of time. And that was a big, a big thing that your body just had to deal with. Mm. So let's talk about some of the different common triggers for migraines. I'm going to just list through some, but again, very unique. So you could have quite the specific trigger in your migraine. Um, I was going to say arsenal, but that's not yeah, friendly. Yeah, friend a friend of mine is just uh, straight up chocolate. We'll just send him into a terrible like three-day migraine. Yeah. Oh, Ouch. So, right, it can be super, super specific to the person. So here are some common triggers. Um, being underhydrated, being, uh, skipping sleep, being stressed out, whether it's physical or emotional, um, encountering barometric pressure changes. So this can happen when there are abrupt weather changes or kind of unseasonal weather changes. Having tight upper back, neck, or jaw muscles. Hormonal changes, especially and often around menstruation. Eating and consuming food additives such as monosodium glutamate, otherwise known as MSG, or artificial sugars like aspartame. MSG is one of my big triggers. Um, Consuming preserved or aged foods such as cheeses, coffee, and chocolate. And that could be because of the uh, effect that they're having on histamine in the body, which is you're listing all the things that people love. <laughs> people often love foods that they're <laughs> sensitive to. Um, could be because of the mold content in some of those foods. They're aged, right? They have yeast in them. Uh, maybe there's yeast sensitivity. Could be the fact that they can be uh, histamine releasing or inducing in the body. Uh, cheeses often it's cheeses that contain tyramine, which um, can it's just uh, it's like a specific type of protein that can be difficult on the body. Continuing on, wine, its own category. Um, some of the reasons could be because of nitrates, nitrites, tannins, yeasts. All of those can be triggers within the wine itself or potentially it's just the alcohol itself. 
chemical sensitivities, so encountering strong perfumes, heavily, heavily fragranced laundry detergent, secondhand smoke, um, medications themselves, and more. Right? So right there, there are a lot of factors that people can have control over, right? Like the food you eat, um, but also situations that you might not have control over. You can't change the barometric pressure, which you could. You can't change if you're, you know, walking past someone or you're in a classroom or a meeting with someone who's wearing a really strong perfume, right? If you have that chemical sensitivity. Um, so it can get challenging when you're starting to figure out, all right, what are my triggers and how do I manage those triggers? Sure. There's definitely a, um, when I was opening up the gym, I was talking to lots of different people who run small businesses and, um, people who are interested in making like safe environments, um, for people. And one of the things that came up a, a few times was minimizing unnatural smells. So you know, sweat and whatever in a gym is perfectly natural. Most people aren't reactive to that. But finding um, cleaners and things that we can use in our bathroom or on our floor that have limited or no no additional chemical smell or no floral smell because it can be really, really bad for people, really painful for people to deal with. Yep. And I am one of those sensitive individuals, really cute, where I, again, I feel like panicky if I'm encountering especially like Thai detergent man when I smell in the neighborhood that someone is like drying their clothes and their dryer vent is like leaching out into into the air that we all breathe that yes that is one of those triggers that whew, it is tough and yeah it's it that, that alone can be something that can immediately give someone a migraine um, or a very major headache so um Windex actually makes me faint my God, Hannah. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. And, and so do cigarettes. So um, I, they might be, they, it might be the same ingredient. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys who smoke cigarettes. Guys who really like a clean windows. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep, exactly. Please don't use it around me or I will slowly fall over. Yeah, and you'll be like, what happened? And I'll say, <laughs> I don't really know. I don't know. Windex. Please um, don't use it. Please don't. Yeah, please don't. So um, we had a lot of really good questions that I want to get to, but I do want to list off just some general tactics that people can think about if they are experiencing migraines. But the first and foremost is going to be to keep a journal. I know it can seem like the last thing you want to do, but if you're getting laid up even like once a month with a migraine, you're having to take time off of work or you're just feeling pissed off, or you're sad because you're day is ruined, or maybe it's a couple days in a row, I think it is very much worth your time to keep a journal um, regarding food, drink, and environment. So think mm. about writing down the foods you're eating, um, noting any beverages, including total amount of water that you're drinking, right? So total amount of liquid, and then what types of liquid. And then notice what's the weather like. Maybe you want to download a weather app that's talking about the barometric pressure. There are plenty of those and we can link to some of them in the show notes. Um, like what, what actual rooms were you in? Like what buildings were you in, right? So greater environment and then the smaller environment of different offices at your home or any smells that you noticed. Um, you have to do your own detective work because like we've been talking about, it is so unique and so specific to you and what your body can handle. So someone else's triggers, I you know, might not be 
yours might not ever be, right? A lot of people can eat chocolate. Your friend, oh, sure can't. Right. Um, after that would be thinking about ways to reduce your stress load. I do think that a migraine, because it is so much more of a neurological um, conundrum and issue, is going to be tied into what is that total body burden that your body's under, right? Is the tipping point that weird chemical fragrance that you smelled while you're taking the bus home on someone else who's sitting in front of you? Um, what are those other stressors that might be building up to get you to that unfortunate tipping point? So mm -hmm. what is your sleep like? Are you able to move your body in an appropriate and human way, aka exercise? Do you have wind down time during your week? Are you really stressed out? Um, those would be some biggies. And then the last two things would be if you are noticing that your um, migraines are coming more with hormonal changes. So, you know, maybe during the week leading up to your period or right when you're getting your period, if that's what you're noticing, then thinking about ways to help support that hormonal balance. Um, maybe you go seek out working with someone who's talking about nutrition or a naturopath who can help you assess what your actual hormonal levels are and what might need to come into play. Um, and a, again, a big clue to that is if you get a migraine before your period. Yeah. So the last thing I want to say is just making sure that you're also looking at um, with foods that you're getting in, opting for a low inflammation dietary style so that if you are having some of this inflammatory response during a migraine that you have enough of those anti-inflammatory appropriate oils coming from things like omega-3 fatty acids that your body can hopefully do as much as it can to help get through that migraine so you can have appropriate anti-inflammatory pathways in your body so eating yeah and if you're generally staying in an anti-inflammatory diet then when you do try something unusual and it has what seems like a direct cause to your migraine, you have a pretty clear picture mm -hmm. of where that pain is coming from. Yep. So some people feel like, uh, this is pretty individual, some people feel like they can, if they can catch a migraine attack soon enough, they can ward it off. Um, some people feel relief using magnesium, whether it's oral or you're like taking an Epsom salt bath to help reduce some of that um, kind of tightening up. Some people will drink caffeine um, that will kind of change that um, the the uh, the caffeine is going to like change the tightness, if you will, of your circulatory system um, and like the vessels in and around your noggin and your brain. Um, if the migraine does include some tight muscles, which I think that can be a factor, looking at massage, whether it's what you'll talk about, Hannah, with um, trigger points or opting to go get into an actual massage with a massage therapist, if that's a possibility, and then removing stimuli. Those are going to be the biggest ones. Um, and someone, Nicole, had a question about medication and Imitrex. I'm not a doctor. I was actually, I was on Imitrex when I had migraines when I was a teenager, and I I think it can work for some people, and it's something that um, if you, it's basically also looking at the dilation of um, the circulatory system, so blood vessels, it's working on that pathway. So if that's helpful for someone, of course, that's an option. Um, some people do notice, and I was one of those people, that the longer they took it for their migraines, it was never really addressing the underlying cause. The doctor who prescribed it never said, go figure out your triggers. They just said, when you get a migraine, take this. Um, and often you have to be taking more and more 
with mm. each migraine. Your body can get used to it for some people. For other people, it's a magic bullet. And I would say they would maybe, I would encourage them to figure out what the triggers are and go from there. So that's my spiel. Yeah. And I just will, I mean, from my own experience, uh, as somebody who's been really dealing with figuring out my respiratory system, um, I don't have migraines. I have a chronic cough and dealing with like AI, you know, doing an autoimmune protocol, doing um, really low inflammatory diet and then testing and finding out my triggers has been a very long and rigorous process, but it is already paying off in spades because I've figured out that I can't have wine, for example, without coughing all night or peanuts or, um, you know, I can't really have a lot of coffee anymore. But then next time I'm getting sick or I notice I'm starting to get a cold, if I really pull back on all the things I know are triggers, hopefully I won't have to take like a gallon of codeine every night to go to sleep. That's the point. So if you're taking a medication, you're really, really reliant on it. Of course, your doctor is giving you that medication because it's working for you or because they think it will work for you. So continue to use it, but you can also attack it from the other side and really be specific about testing stuff so you know where it's coming from. So you're not just constantly giving yourself pain that's unnecessary. Right. Pain is a signal from your body. And sure is. <laughs> I think it's something really to be respected. And that was a, a great question and thought that Amy Hines had when we were uh, asking questions, if anyone had questions about migraines. Um, and she was speaking to the fact that a lot of people try to diminish the severity of their pain because they don't want to be a burden um, or maybe kind of those bigger societal cues that health concerns shouldn't be taken seriously or you should just take a drug and then move on and keep doing your work and do more work. Um, so not that, that we have any, you know, answers to that, but I think that was such a wonderful thing for her to bring up that you do have to respect the pain that your body's in and a migraine, you know, they can be so severe that you literally, or probably almost literally, but to me, literally have no option but to go lay down. Right. Um, and that, you know, once you get out of that attack in the post-drome phase to really, see, okay, what, what can I do? Just like you were saying, Hannah, with your sinus stuff and your respiratory system, what can I do that maybe it's going to be more rigorous, but what can I do to give myself answers so I have more tools so I can feel good more of the time? That's really important. And that's very empowering. Yes, absolutely. Um, so we can talk about some of these questions people have, or Hannah, if you want to um, dive into more of your take on some of these subjects. Sure. Well, so I, my goal today was to talk about exertional headaches and exercise-induced headaches because I think they're a pretty uncommon thing in, in conversation. People don't really talk about exertion headaches uh, very frequently or always know what to do when they come on. So... They're different than migraines. Let's be very clear about that. <laughs> Exercise headaches are going to be causal. They're coming from something that you did that was giving you this headache. Um, first things first, if you're getting a headache from exercise, please go see a doctor immediately because there are different types of headaches that can come from exercise. And if you don't get those diagnosed right away, if you don't get them treated right away, you might be furthering a problem or be just ignoring a problem that's underlying. Mm -hmm. So... There are two types. There's the primary exercise headache, which is pretty much harmless, but painful. And then there's secondary 
exercise headache. And the secondary exercise headache is really the thing that we're trying to avoid ignoring because that's usually caused by some underlying more serious problem like bleeding in the brain or tumor or an actual concussion um, or maybe even an artery disease. So those are going to require some emergency medical attention. If you're getting headaches after you exercise, it's really important to go look into them first and figure out if there's an underlying factor or if it is really just from tension while you're exercising. Um, so the, the times, the times when you see them are going to vary from person to person. And also what causes them might be really different from person to person. Like I've personally never had an exercise headache. Um, whereas I have clients who get them relatively frequently if they're not careful. So again, this is something like migraines where some people are more susceptible than others. You also might be someone who never gets headaches and then suddenly you get a tension headache and then, or or, uh, exertional headache. And then when you do, you are getting multiple in a row every time you exercise. Right. So there's a lot of different ways that it can look. Um, when you get an exercise headache, the primary, for the primary exercise, the symptoms generally are like a throbbing pain more than a tightness. It feels like a throbbing. It occurs usually right after or during strenuous exercise. Um, and it's usually a full head thing. It's both sides of the head and maybe it could even feel like it's at the base of your head. Secondary, and this is where it gets problematic is where you see something, same symptoms as primary headaches, but you might also see vomiting, loss of consciousness, double vision, rigid neck or spine. Um, and yeah, this those can last you, for days and sometimes longer. And so go see a doctor. that's obviously a problem. You really need to see a doctor for that. Primary exercise headaches are more like five minutes up to two days. Either way, if you're getting it and it's suddenly it's sudden and new and you haven't been treated for this before, it's definitely worth looking into. Your head is a precious part of your body and it's got your brain inside that you need to control every other part of you. Definitely. Yeah. And so I'm- if it's new, go see a doctor right away. Yes. Um, so here's the things that can maybe lead to getting an exercise headache or an exertional headache. If you are exercising and you're, you normally don't work out in super hot weather and you decide to go for a long run and it's 95 degrees outside, hot weather can be a cause of exertion headaches. Also, exercising at a higher altitude than you're normally used to, um, where you're getting a little bit less oxygen than you're used to. Um, if you have a history of migraines or, or people in your family have a history of migraines, you might be more susceptible to an exercise headache as well. And there's... Again, just like with migraines, there's not really a clear cut cause for what is happening uh, or what is causing the problems. But this is also, like I said before, a musculoskeletal problem. So usually it comes from some form of tension and holding tension um, that's causing your essentially the, the trigger points along your neck and shoulders to radiate into your head. Mm-hmm. So that could be from emotional stress. Like myself right now, I'm feeling really tense in my upper back and neck from emotional um, stress and tension. It might be from neck and back uh, tension, neck and upper back tension that you're holding in an unusual way. Like maybe you're you're having some uh, tightness or immobility in your neck and back, so you're holding them in a, a particular way. Or 
it could just be from straight exertion. It might like if you're doing a super, super heavy set of deadlifts and you're really holding your breath the whole time and exerting a lot of force, you might experience your first um, exercise induced headache and you might experience a really temporary one sometimes after doing something like that. And I want to speak to uh, the tension headaches coming from like a lot of what you're saying, the actual just tension itself, because that was something new to me that I started experiencing just about a year ago. Um, and they're no joke. They, they're, when I started experiencing them, I was wondering if it was, it feels similar to a migraine. It's not a migraine. It doesn't have a lot of those other um, kind of pre and post dromal phases like you've been talking about, but um, it's been quite the journey. I just want to add that there can be, in addition to like shoulder and neck and tension in all of those areas, the jaw is another um, yes. place to consider as well. That's yep. kind of what I've been figuring out with mine is that there's way too much tension that I'm holding in my jaw, uh, unbeknownst to me. And yes. those, you have so many muscles in that area alone, right? That interplay is just uh, incredible. Yeah. So and I was also going to add that sometimes um, exertion headaches can even feel more painful than a migraine in terms of like the actual feeling of pain versus the side effects. It's obviously not nearly as intense and long lasting, but the pain might immediately feel worse um, and more sharp and then fade much faster and not have any lingering effects. So the question is then, what do you do? Like, how do you manage this? How do you deal with it? There are some medicinal ways to deal with it. If you are getting this super frequently and you're seeing a doctor about it, they might prescribe something for you to take immediately after getting a headache or maybe even before you exercise so you don't get this problem. Um, but here's what I would say. The first thing is that when you start getting um, exertional headaches, when you start getting exercise headaches, it's usually not an isolated incident. So you usually don't just get one and then never again. <laughs> what, what I've seen the most of is people get one pretty bad one, and then after that, every time they exercise, they get several of those happening over and over, and they happen really quickly. So early on, maybe even just in the warm-up, they might notice an exercise headache coming on. And really, there, there's not there's no exact like understanding of why that's happening, but um, most doctors are suggesting that you take a couple weeks off after getting a pretty severe exertion headache, um, that you take some time to, to pull away from that and not, ex not really exercise more than a walk, um, or like a very, yeah, very light movement for two to three weeks until you no longer basically get any symptoms within your, just in your early warm up times of, of working out. Right. And that, that, if I can throw in that, if that might also clue into people too, what, either which muscles are in are in play and also um, which movements might be particularly challenging for their body. Um, using myself as an example, again, snatching and like power cleans were tough. Those were like yeah. pretty immediate tension headache afterwards. So Sure. Yeah. And, and once, like I said, once you get one, you are likely to get more and um, you can, when, if you pull away and you give yourself some time to recover, you may not get any more again in the future, but usually they, there's not just one and then it's over. There's some residual or lingering effects where now the, the, you know, the muscles in your head and neck are already so tense that 
getting the headache is not going to make them better. <laughs> and now it's probably just going to make them more susceptible to getting this sort of reaction. Um, so the first thing I would say is just take some time away, take some time to do something very relaxing and let yourself have some time to de-stress. And maybe if it's an emotional problem too, um, like give yourself some time to deal with that circumstance before you try to remedy it through exercise. Cause you should never try to remedy your emotions through exercise. Right. Exercise can mm-hmm. be a, a great adjunct to sure. working, working through emotions, whatever the emotions may be. Um, but yeah, having that, yeah. don't soul. try to fix them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just- Other things that can be helpful are trigger point therapy. So if you, if you already know your triggers, um, and like, for example, one of the things that feels really good sometimes for people with exercise headaches is when you, uh, use triggers at the base of the skull at the yeah. back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you can just have someone, you know, uh, like put their hands out and then you can lay on their fingers and just gently do some trigger point therapy there. You can go to a massage therapist and have them work some stuff in your neck and upper back. And that can really help. Um, relieve some of the immediate pain and also hopefully make that recovery process faster. Mm-hmm. And then when you come back in after getting exercise headaches, so you've been gone for a couple weeks, when you come back in, it's really important to take things a little bit slower. And what I usually advise for people is to work at about 60% effort the whole time and make sure that you're able to breathe and speak at, at a normal rate. So if you're super, super out of breath and you're huffing and puffing the whole time, that's going to only lead to more exertion in your upper body and tension in your neck. And we want to ease away from that. So stay at a a rate where you can keep your body calm and you can be really flowing with your breath and um, ease your way back in that way. Don't just jump right in full on like 100% in your CrossFit workout. (laughs) Maybe even um, skip your like skip the metabolic conditioning portion and do like something low and slow. And if you're trying weightlifting again, um, pick a weight and a rep scheme where you can take full breaths between reps. And when you're moving through the rep, you're never holding tension. You're never holding your breath all the way. And maybe So you're not bearing down. And maybe ask a coach too to double check your form. I would think form would have a big, big play into muscle yeah. recruitment. Yes, absolutely. If you're if you're coming up out of the back squat and you're driving your hips first and the bar is pressing down into your neck and you're pushing your traps into it to sort of save your position, then you might be getting more exertion in the upper upper neck than you really want. Ow. Yeah, ow. That sounds ouchy. Yeah. So, here's my here's my last thing about how to um, avoid getting exercise headaches in the first place. Breathing is an essential part of doing any sort of movement and doing it well. Yogis know this, but you know they talk about breath and connection of breath to movement all the time. But in weightlifting, CrossFit, uh, you know, high intensity interval training, like people don't really talk about breath control, and I think it's very, very important. Mm. So here's a little exercise I'm going to have you do, uh, listeners. If you're in the car. You can still do this. Just don't close your eyes when I say close your eyes, okay? <laughs> okay. If you're at home. No liability. <laughs> yeah, if you're at home or you can possibly take a moment, um, then this, this is an exercise I want you to do. So, Taj, cue the relaxing music. While you're at, at your house or in your office, bring down the lights just a little bit. Close your eyes. And now, I just notice your breath. 
Now what I want you to do is purposely move your breath down just to the base of your gut. So you feel like you're breathing in and just expanding your belly. You can even put your hand on your belly. And then put your other hand on your chest. And I want you to purposely avoid raising or lowering your chest. So don't let your shoulders hike up when you breathe, just your belly. And then you're going to picture like a radiant halo above your head. You're going to picture that area of your head just relaxing to the top, just the crown of your head relaxing. And then that halo is going to move down and get to the tops of your ears. And you're going to think about your ears relaxing and your forehead relaxing and uncrinkling. Your eyes not squeezing shut, just resting shut. Your cheeks are soft and you're gonna bring your tongue to the base of your mouth. So pull it off the roof of your mouth and let your jaw feel a little slack. All the way through your neck, super slack and just relaxed. And then into your shoulders and all the way down. Now we're gonna take in a breath and it's gonna take five seconds to take in. We're gonna hold it for five and release for five. Are you ready? Take a breath in. One, two, three, four, five, hold, five, four, three, two, one, release, five, four, three, two, one, and relax. Okay, end soft music. (laughs) (laughs) We should do a meditation, uh, not that that was meditation, but we should do maybe a meditation at the end of every episode, just throwing that out there. I think we should, I think we should. (laughs) So that exercise is actually something I do on a pretty consistent basis before I work out and immediately after a workout. What it's helping you do is actually twofold. One, it's helping you relax the muscles that you don't need to be firing, which are the small muscles in your neck and traps. You don't need those to do the work for you. If you're doing something that's a upper body movement, you want to recruit larger muscle groups that can support you. So you want to be using your lats as much as you can, um, your delts, whatever it is that you're doing for the exercise. You don't want your neck doing that work. Taking your tongue off the roof of your mouth can be like a game changer for people and learning to breathe from, from your diaphragm rather than from your chest. The second part is it's also going to help you with breath control when you're doing something like if I tell you to do 200 wall balls and you're huffing and puffing into the chest, you're going to have a hard time doing more than five at a time. And you're going to feel so gutted the whole time. If you can learn to breathe through your diaphragm, you won't get out of breath until maybe a quarter of the way into the workout where you're starting to notice, okay, now I'm breathing a little heavier. You don't want to start off every workout with like (laughs) at every turn. You want to be able to come into the workout calm and attack it with your 100% effort, 80% effort, whatever it is, while maintaining a, a stable breath throughout so you can actually support the system. And then that also can help you just relieve some tension overall. So if you're really experiencing a lot of these headaches, like this, use this to tackle it head on. Head on! (laughs) Head on. Um, That's beautiful. I think that's such a wonderful challenge for everyone to try out this week, regardless of even whether you experience tension, headaches, or migraines, or any of that jazz. Just learning to tap into your breath. Hallelujah.
Yep. And usually what I'll do is before I work out, I'll do five rounds of that breath. And I've actually been working on making those th- that time longer. So seven, seven, and seven instead of five, five, five. Um, you can work all the way up as high as you can. And then after the workout, I try to go, I do five, five, and five until I've recovered my breath. And usually I do it laying on the floor so I can feel my belly pushing into the floor. Mm-hmm. So laying on my stomach. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Those are such so give tips. it a shot. Give it a shot. And then shout out to us about your shot and what it was like. Feel take a pic. Take a pic. Put it on Instagram. Put it on Facebook. Send us a tweet. It'll be yeah. great. We'd love to hear what your breathing was like. Ah. Well, this was such a good episode. Um, I think there's actually a lot of subjects that can come out of this episode. Specifically, um, maybe we should have an episode about chronic pain coming up because I think that's a really, 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 really good subject um, that deserves more time because uh, migraines can definitely kind of fall into under that classification of being a pain that someone chronically has to manage. Yes, absolutely. Did you have any more questions from the audience? Um, <clears throat> Hannah Peterson asked, are migraines hereditary? And I would say that I, you know, it, again, there's like still so little research about the effects of migraines and the background of migraines. So I would say yes, for sure. I can see them running in families, um, not uncommon that way, but also doesn't mean that if your close relatives don't have migraines and you start to have them that, you know, there's something to miss there. Um, that's what happened to me. I have one, I have one cousin who experiences migraines, but everyone in my immediate family doesn't have migraines. So, Mm. so yeah, I think that was it. And then if we can talk about, according to, uh, just according to, um, this study I read earlier when I was like doing a little research on this episode, there is some, um, inheritance elements to it. So there is usually people who have an inherited, migraines also have like one parent or someone along their side who has it, but there's not necessarily a genetic factor, if that makes sense. Cause genetic and inherited aren't always the same thing or hereditary aren't always the same thing. Right. So, um, there's not as there's, there's, it's pretty rare to find a genetic disorder that actually leads to migraines. It's more, uh, common to see it from other causes. Right. Definitely. And again, it's like that greater idea of there just being, so many different triggers too. Yes, that can be yes. kind of interplaying. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of that's, that's what I want to say about migraines. Yeah. Um, any other questions? I think a lot of the questions are just getting into that chronic pain, which I would love to talk about in its own episode. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of this episode. I feel like we've learned a lot of stuff. And if you have any questions about migraines, about headaches, about anything related to health, fitness, wellness, body, mind, spirit, ask us. We would love to do an episode about it. We would love to help answer your questions. And if we don't know the answer, we would love to bring in an expert who does, because that's what we're all about here on the You Have a Body podcast. And if you know anybody who you'd like us to interview who is an expert, please send us an email because that's how we found the beautiful Jessa Walters. And what a lovely episode that was. So please send us uh, a note on Facebook, on our email, on Instagram, wherever we'd be happy to talk to you more and learn more about what you're looking for. So thanks so much for joining us on You Have a Body Podcast, and we'll see you next week. We'll see you then. The You Have a Body Podcast is produced by me, Taj Ruler. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or visit noisepinkdick.com for full episode information. 
Join in on the conversation at facebook.com slash youhaveabodypodcast. Tweet at us at youhaveabody or find us on Instagram at youhaveabodypodcast. Let us know what's going on with you because guess what? You have a body.